Part two, chapter two of Tolstoy on Shakespeare. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Guero. Tolstoy on Shakespeare by Leo Tolstoy. Part two, chapter two, appendix. Letter from Mr. George Bernard Shaw. Extracts. As you know, I have striven hard to open English eyes to the emptiness of Shakespeare's philosophy, to the superficiality and second-handedness of his morality, to his weakness and incoherence as a thinker, to his snobbery, his vulgar prejudices, his ignorance, his disqualifications of all sorts for the philosophic eminence claimed for him. The preface to my Three Plays for Puritans contains a section headed Better Than Shakespeare? which is, I think, the only utterance of mine on the subject to be found in a book. There is at present in the press a new preface to an old novel of mine called The Irrational Knot. In that preface I defined the first order in literature as consisting of those works in which the author, instead of accepting the current morality and religion ready-made without any question as to their validity, writes from an original moral standpoint of his own thereby making his book an original contribution to morals, religion, and sociology, as well as to belles-letters. I place Shakespeare with Dickens, Scott, Dumas-Père, etc., in the second order, because though they are enormously entertaining, their morality is ready-made, and I point out that the one play, Hamlet, in which Shakespeare made an attempt to give us as a hero one who was dissatisfied with the ready-made morality, is the one which has given the highest impression of his genius. Although Hamlet's revolt is unskillfully and inconclusively suggested, and not worked out with any philosophic competence. Footnote. Besides the prefaces here referred to, Mr. G. Bernard Shaw has at various times written other articles on the subject. V.T. End footnote. May I suggest that you should be careful not to imply that Tolstoy's great Shakespearean heresy has no other support than mine. The preface of Nicholas Rowe to his edition of Shakespeare, and the various prefaces of Dr. Johnson, contain, on Rowe's part, an apology for him as a writer with obvious and admitted shortcomings, very ridiculously ascribed by Rowe to his working by a mere light of nature and on Johnson's a good deal of downright hard-hitting criticism. You should also look up the history of the Ireland forgeries, unless, as is very probable, Tolstoy has anticipated you in this. Among nineteenth-century poets, Byron and William Morris saw clearly that Shakespeare was enormously overrated intellectually. A French book, which has been translated into English, has appeared within the last ten years, giving Napoleon's opinions of the drama. His insistence on the superiority of Corneille to Shakespeare, on the ground of Corneille's power of grasping a political situation, and of seeing men in their relation to the state, is interesting. Of course you know about Voltaire's criticisms, which are the more noteworthy, because Voltaire began with an extravagant admiration for Shakespeare, and got more and more bitter against him as he grew older, and less disposed to accept artistic merit as a cover for philosophic deficiencies. 
Finally, I, for one, shall value Tolstoy's criticism all the more because it is criticism of a foreigner who cannot possibly be enchanted by the mere word music which makes Shakespeare so irresistible in England. Footnote. It should be borne in mind that this letter was written before Mr. G. B. Shaw had seen the essay in question by Tolstoy, now published in this volume. V.T. End footnote. In Tolstoy's estimation, Shakespeare must fall or stand as a thinker, in which capacity I do not think he will stand a moment's examination from so tremendously keen a critic and religious realist. Unfortunately, the English worship their great artists quite indiscriminately and abjectly, so that it is quite impossible to make them understand that Shakespeare's extraordinary literary power, his fun, his mimicry, and the endearing qualities that earned him the title of, quote, the gentle Shakespeare, end quote, all of which, whatever Tolstoy may say, are quite unquestionable facts, do not stand or fall with his absurd reputation as a thinker. Tolstoy will certainly treat that side of his reputation with the severity it deserves, and you will find that the English press will instantly announce that Tolstoy considers his own works greater than Shakespeare's, which in some respects they most certainly are, by the way, and that he has attempted to stigmatize our greatest poet as a liar, a thief, a forger, a murderer, an incendiary, a drunkard, a libertine, a fool, a madman, a coward, a vagabond, and even a man of questionable gentility. You must not be surprised or indignant at this. It is what is called dramatic criticism in England and America. Only a few of the best of our journalist critics will say anything worth reading on the subject. Yours faithfully, G. Bernard Shaw. End of chapter 2. Recording by Guero. End of Tolstoy on Shakespeare by Leo Tolstoy.